And today we are going to finish out this series called The Moral of the Story by looking at probably the most famous parable Jesus ever told. A parable is a, an earthly story using earthly examples and illustrations to uh, make a spiritual point. And today we're going to talk about what is commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I think that may not be the best title for this parable for a couple of reasons. First of all, in the story that Jesus tells, there wasn't just one son. There were actually two sons. There was a younger son who leaves home, but there was also an older son who stayed home. So the parable of the prodigal son kind of misses the point that there were actually two sons. And then secondly, I think that may not be the best title for this parable because actually the story Jesus is going to tell is not so much about the son or the sons as it is about the father. You see, in Luke chapter 15, where we're going to be going today, Jesus is telling us about the heart of God the Father for those who are far from him. And in this time, Jesus is actually telling three stories. We looked at two of them last week where Jesus talked about a shepherd who lost a sheep and a woman who lost one of ten coins. And then today we're going to look at where Jesus talks about a father who had a son who left home. The stories Jesus told are not so much about a lost sheep as it is a seeking shepherd or a lost coin as it is a seeking owner. And the story we'll talk about today is not so much about one or two lost sons. The story is about a longing father who is seeking to restore the relationship with his sons. And so today we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 11. And I think that today, if you'll keep your eyes on the father, and in this story, the father represents God the father. If you'll keep your eyes on the father then you'll learn more about God and you'll learn more about yourself. It was that late theologian and pastor, A.W. Tozer, who said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think one of the points he was making is, what do you think of when you think of God? Because whatever you first think of God, that really tells a lot about you. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who, when you think about God, you think about a God who is distant, a God who's angry at you because of all the sin of your life and the mistakes that you've made. Maybe when you think about God, you think of a God who really doesn't want to love you. Now, he probably does love you because he just has to, but he doesn't love you as much as he loves other people in this church. If that's your concept of God, then friend, you need to hear what Jesus has to say. Because he's going to reveal to you who God the Father really is and how God the Father really feels about you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you think you've messed up your life, this is how God the Father feels about you. And by the way, this is how we ought to feel about each other as well. So in Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, it says, And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. This is just a story that Jesus is making up. There was a man who had two sons. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. We see here this father has two sons. And on some occasion, this younger son, we don't know how old he was in Jesus' story. Perhaps he was a 
in his late teens, or maybe he was in his early 20s, but somewhere he just makes up his mind, it's time to get out of this place. Maybe he goes to his dad, Dad, I no longer want to live under your roof and obey your rules. It's too restrictive. It's too confining. I want to find myself. I want to be my own man. I don't need to be treated like a child anymore. You got teenagers, anybody ever experienced something similar to that where they just kind of want to get out and get on their own because they think they've got life all figured out? And here's what we discover about this father is he loves his son enough to let him go. And dear friend, God loves us enough to let us go. God also loves us enough to let us go and experience the consequences of going. Okay, you're going to learn some lessons that you will only learn in the university of hard knocks. So you want to go. I love you enough to let you go. I don't want to force you to stay here. I don't want to force you to love me. I don't want to force you to live according to my rules. If you want to go, I love you enough to let you go. Now think about this. This young son is asking his father for his future inheritance that would normally have come to him when his dad died. And in his arrogance, in his uh, hostility and rebellion towards his dad, he says, Dad, I don't want to wait till you're dead. You're dead to me now. I want to be free from dad, but I don't want to be free from your dollars, dad. Can you give me my inheritance now? And the father does it. He divides his inheritance between his boys. In that culture, the older son would have gotten two-thirds of his father's estate because in that culture, the older son then became the head of the clan, the head of the family, and he had more responsibilities on him to care for the family. So the older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, the younger son would get one-third, and the father gives it. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This boy gets his money, he gets his bags packed, he gets his affairs in order. He tells everybody he's going, he's given his goodbyes, and out he goes to a far country. In Jesus' story, the first century Jewish audience would have understood the far country as being a Gentile country. This boy is going as far away from his father as he can, as far away culturally and geographically and morally and spiritually as he can. He wants to get away. In our day, we would say, and you know what that boy did? He took all that money and he headed to Vegas. That's, that's the way it would work in our day. He's going to New York. He went to Miami Beach and there he partied it up. He slept all day, partied all night. And man, he had so many friends, he didn't know how to count them. As long as the booze was flowing, as long as the party was going, as long as there was another adventure to go, he had friends. And he threw caution to the wind. I mean, anybody else looking at the way this boy was living his life would say, that's reckless. He's not thinking straight. He's not thinking wisely. He's making tons of decisions that he's going to live to regret one day. But as far as he can see, he is enjoying every single moment. And he squandered all his property away. He burns through that inheritance like there is no 
tomorrow. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Not only did he realize he could not control his spending, he also could not control the economy. Because about the same time he is penniless, a famine sweeps through the land, crops are dying in the fields, the shelves at the grocery store are empty, businesses are closing, employees are being laid off and fired, no one is hiring, there's hardly no way to make any money, and he is desperate, but he's broke, he's penniless, he's hopeless. And he thinks he's hit rock bottom, but he hasn't yet. Look at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now that doesn't shock any of us in this room this morning perhaps. But remember the story Jesus is telling. This is a good Jewish boy. And there are two things a good Jewish boy would never want to do. He wouldn't want to work for a Gentile. And he certainly would not want to slop hogs. Now, I'm from South Georgia. My granny had a farm. I know what it is to slop hogs. I know what it is to slaughter hogs. I can tell you there's none of that that's nice. There's none of that that's clean. It's all nasty. It's all smelly. But according to the Old Testament... These were unclean animals and Jewish people were forbidden from contact with those animals because it would make them spiritually, ceremonially unclean. But this guy's desperate. He's penniless. He's he's hungry. He's starving. There's a famine in the land. And he stoops to doing what he said he would never do. Anybody else here like me got testimonies of how you've done some things you said you would never do? I'd never do that. It's easy to say it in the good old days. It's easy to say it when there's money in your pocket. It's easy to say it whenever you've got friends. It's easy to say it whenever you think you've got life by the tail. But listen, when you get desperate enough and you've strayed far enough and you finally get out on your own and you have nowhere else to go, you may surprise yourself in doing some things you said you'd never do. Going some places you said you would never go. Participating in some things you said you would never participate in. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He thought he hit rock bottom whenever he was working for a Gentile in a pig farm. But he really hit rock bottom. When he realized how hungry he was, that he had seriously stood there and contemplated eating alongside those pigs. When he realized he was this close to getting on his hands and knees and eating hog slop, he realized, I've hit rock bottom. This boy had left the home of his loving father to find himself And now, he doesn't even know who he is anymore. He had gone looking for fun and has found misery. He had gone looking for friends in the high life. And he has found loneliness and the lowest life he could imagine. He's hit rock bottom. And you know, I think Jesus is trying to teach us, if we have any spiritual ears to hear him at all, 
this lesson. Don't be surprised when you leave God when you end up in a spiritual pig pen. Don't be surprised whenever you leave God when you find yourself down and out and broken. And all those fair weather friends are no longer there. It's now just you facing the consequences of your choices. Verse 17, Jesus continues his story. But when he came to himself, do you hear that? When he, when he came to himself, when he, when he woke up, when he finally realized, what am I doing? This boy's been out of his mind. He's been living a fantasy all this time. But now his dreams have given way to reality. He's going, what am I doing here? What have I done with my life? What have I been thinking? So when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He said, What have I done? I'm sitting here in this hog pen, starving to death, thinking about joining the hogs and eating this slop, when back home, even the lowest servant has bread to spare. He makes up his mind that he's going to change some things. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I sinned against heaven because God says, Honor your mother and father. Obey your parents. And I've done neither of those. And I've sinned before you because I've treated you with such contempt when you gave me nothing but love and food and clothing and shelter and a name and a future. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He decides it's better to be a slave in the father's house than to be free in this pig pen. And he wants to go home. And he's only hoping that while he's longing for home, home is longing for him. All he can hope, the best that he can hope, is that the father will say, I'll let you back as a servant you're dead to me as a son, the way you treated me, the way you threw caution to the wind, wasted everything I had worked for in the future that I had tried to give you. Yeah, you can come home if you want, and you can be a servant, not my son. That's all he can hope for. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, don't miss that, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt. And then I just put a blank. How would you fill in that blank if that boy was yours and he came home? You see, because how you fill in the blank reveals how you feel about the Heavenly Father. Reveals how you view the Heavenly Father. Maybe you would fill in the blank. And when he saw him, he felt Anger. He felt disgust. He felt contempt. 
And the father lectured him, how dare you show your face around here again? Do you know how embarrassing it's been every time someone said, where's your youngest boy? I haven't seen him lately. And do you know how embarrassing it's been to hear the, the gossip on the grapevine of what you've been doing and how you've soiled our reputation? I can't even look my friends in the eye after how you've lived your life. Anger, disgust, contempt, hostility, rejection. Because I think there's some people in this room right now who are far from God. You need to come home. And the only thing that's keeping you from coming home is you're not sure if God will welcome you. You're not sure if God will accept you. You're not sure if God really loves you and wants to embrace you and to kiss you. And that, my friend, is why you're here. That, my friend, is why Jesus gave this parable. Because he wants to clarify once and for all how God the Father feels about his wayward children which, by the way, is all of us at one point or the other. And here is how Jesus fills in the blank. Verse 20, he rose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's how the father feels about you. In the Greek, the word that Jesus uses for compassion means in his gut. Viscerally, he was moved with love and pity and sympathy for his boy. And he ran to his boy. Dignified Jewish older men did not run in the first century. It was undignified to do it. But this father doesn't care what people think. He sees his son coming and he runs to his son. And did you notice something? The father saw the son before the son even got close to home. Don't you suspect that this father has been looking for his son to come home? Been longing for his son to come home? I know now better than I did before I had children what it's like to have a child out at night. You know, they get old enough to, to drive or to go out on dates or to hang out with their friends. And... I can't sleep until they're home. I have to know they're home before I can rest. And my children know that whenever they're gone, the front porch light's going to be on. And dad's going to be up waiting until you get home. And especially if it's my daughter on a date, I'll be up waiting, cleaning my shotgun. Uh, <laughs> because he better bring her home safe and sound. And I can almost imagine this father sitting at the window, drinking his coffee every morning, wondering, is this the day my boy comes home? And every night, pulling down the shade, wondering as he looks out into the night, will this be the night that my boy knocks on the door and comes home? He's been looking. He has been longing for his son to come home. And listen, some of you, you need to come home to God. Some of you don't want to come home because you're having too much fun in the pig pen. Right now, life is good. Right now, you got a bunch of friends. Right now, it seems like the party will never end. But God loves you enough to let you go and do what you're doing. But He's going to love you enough to let you experience the consequences of what you're doing. One day, the party's going to end. And it's just going to be you and God. And in that moment, you need to know He is loving, looking and longing for you to come home. Come home to him. I love verse 21. It says, And the son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember, this is the speech he has rehearsed in the pig pen and all the way home. This is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. I'm just going to ask my dad to just let me be a servant since I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. But did you notice something? The son is interrupted. It's almost as if the father, having run to him, having embraced him and kissed him on the face, hearing the son begin his speech, doesn't say to his son, just a minute, and he turns to his servants, and he stops his boy, dead in his tracks, from talking about being a servant in the father's house. This is what the father does. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. That was the family ring, the signet ring that gave him full authority as the son of the father. And put shoes on his feet. Servants run around without shoes. My boys will have shoes on their feet. Verse 23, And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father will not tolerate any talk from his son about being less than a son. The father doesn't need another hired farmhand. The father needs his son back. And maybe you say, well, I'll come back to God, but, but you know, my past and my guilt and all my shame, and I'm a this and I'm a that. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a this. I'm a that. No, God doesn't want to hear any of that. You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. He doesn't need more service. He wants you as his child, fully embraced, fully accepted, fully equal with all the rest of his children. You say, but gosh, that just sounds, Ricky, that just sounds too good to be true. Could God really do that for me after all that I've done? Sometimes you, you folks come to me and you talk to me privately. And I think sometimes you think you're going to shock me about what you've done, where you've been. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. <laughs> it's hard to shock me anymore. You certainly don't shock God. Before you even open your mouth to confess to him what you've done, he already knew. He's just glad now that you know that that's the wrong road to be on. And that coming back to him is the right road. That's what he wants to know. I grew up in South Georgia, as I've mentioned. I was born in Mobile, Alabama. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> But mainly lived in Valdosta, Lake Park, Georgia. Um, lived in Corsicana, Texas for a while. Um, there was also a time when my dad moved us to Albany, Georgia, there in South Georgia. And it was in the mid-1970s. I was a little child. It's the first time in my life I had ever seen snow with my own eyes. We had gone to bed that night on a cold winter night. And the next morning, I'm uh, shocked as my mom knocks on the door and she's yelling in the hallway to me and to my sister and my younger brother, get up, get up, it snowed last night. And so she makes us don our winter clothes and because we're in South Georgia, we didn't have gloves, so she puts socks on our little hands and then she thrust us out the front door to play in the snow that morning. The first time I'd ever seen snow and it was several inches of snow. 
And as far as the eye could see, everything was blanketed in the pristine driven snow. Including the alleyway next door to our home. Just a dirt alleyway with a dirty, muddy ditch that I used to play in as a little kid. It was in that muddy ditch that I remember seeing something as a kid and I pulled it out. And it was a record, a vinyl record, Elvis Presley. Little sister, fame and fortune. Ooh. Anyway, that was uh, <laughs> that same nasty ditch that my mother would say, Get out of that ditch. You're so filthy now. Go take a bath. But that morning, no matter how dirty that ditch had been, it was now covered in the white, pure snow. And can I tell you, when the grace of God falls on your life, I don't care how dirty you've been, He cleanses you. He covers you with His pure grace. And now he sees you, not through your past and your mistakes. He sees you through his own righteousness, which he has covered you in. That's a whole other sermon. We don't have time for that. I wish the story ended here, but it doesn't. Jesus continues his story. Now his, verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The older son is furious at what the father has done in receiving the son back. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You can call him this son of yours. But he's your brother. He was lost. We didn't know if we would ever see him again. But now he's found he was dead. We thought he was dead and gone somewhere. But he's alive. He's back. And it's fitting that we celebrate. And this is the father's way of saying, Son, if you've got a problem that I'm celebrating your brother who was lost but found, who was dead but is alive, then you're the one with the problem. And the story ends. And remember, Jesus was telling this story in response to the religious leaders who condemned Jesus for the way he welcomed sinners and the way he welcomed them into the presence of God and promised them that God loved them and would forgive them. And the Pharisees were the audience for this parable. And the curtain closes, but we don't know how the older son responded. 
Did the older son stay out there in his anger, refusing to go in and refusing to celebrate the one who was lost being found? Or did the older son realize the same grace of my father that has been poured out on my younger brother is the same grace I have enjoyed all my life. And I'm going to join the father in celebrating my brother who has come home. We don't know. And the reason we don't know is because Jesus wanted you to put yourself in this story. How will you respond? If you are lost, if you identify with that younger son, it's time to come home. Come home to the Father through faith in Jesus. And if you're already home, celebrate when others come home. No matter who they are. No matter what they've done, celebrate. Because it shows that you know the Father's heart. In the next service, we're going to baptize two people. One of them is a young mother. Met her months ago whenever our staff went and did donuts for dads at Mayport Elementary School on Father's Day. And so I met her and our staff met her that day. She eventually came to our church. Last Sunday, she trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And said to me at the back door, I want to get baptized and show people what Jesus has done for me. And I can promise you this, heaven is throwing a party. And the best thing that happens in this church is not when you and I get the stuff around here that we like. Our preferences met and we're comfortable. And I thought the sermon was encouraging. <laughs> That's all fine. You know what really ought to cause us to celebrate like it's... Nobody's business when another person comes home to the Father. Heaven's throwing a party. We're going to join heaven in doing that today. So why don't we give a hand for those two that are going to get baptized in the next service and celebrate changed lives. That's why we're here. And listen, if you'd have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you need to hear me say that is the reason we do what we do as a church. We're not perfect we're not going to ever tell you that we are. Maybe you've been hurt and burned and disappointed by other churches, but I can tell you about Fort Caroline Baptist Church. We all were that younger son who God welcomed home. And we make this church what it is, and we create these environments, and we share these songs and these messages from youngest to oldest because we want you to know that our Heavenly Father loves you and welcomes you home too. So maybe in the stillness of this moment, you want to come home. Why don't we pray together and you do that. Talk to the Father in the stillness of this moment. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, maybe in the stillness of this moment, silently in your heart, you can talk to the Father and say to him, Father, I thank you for Jesus showing me how much you love me in spite of my sin. And I admit to you that I've messed up. But I believe Jesus is your son and he lived a perfect life where I have not. And when he went to the cross, he took all the punishment for all the bad I ever have or ever will do. And in exchange for taking my punishment, he offers me his righteous life, his grace, his compassion, his forgiveness. So that I can be right with you, my heavenly father. So today I confess my sin. And I confess my faith in Jesus. I'm coming home 
today. Coming back to you today. And I thank you for welcoming me by your grace. Thank you for helping, for making me a child of God. Now help me to learn more about you so that I can live for you and bring honor to you. Father, we also thank you for this church that is passionate about reaching the spiritually lost in this community with the love of the Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.